Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Well, this morning, um, I'm starting a series that's not a series, and let me explain. Um, uh, I have two messages that are loosely connected. They're not really connected. They actually stand on their own. And um, I, I want to give you some insight about the way that I think and the way that I approach uh, Sunday mornings. Um, uh, I really only want to say what God's saying. And so, uh, you know, uh, when I was a youth pastor and serving under our former pastor, I would go to him and I would say things like, you know, Pastor, I know it's Easter, but you just say whatever God's saying. And, I, and he was like, well, you know, I don't know. And, and you know what? There would be many times where he would just, you know, we would honor that, but then he would just speak whatever the Lord was saying on his own heart. And I want to say this to you today. Um, that's exactly my paradigm. I don't actually preach Christmas messages because it's Christmas time. I know many of you are disappointed. Well, don't be, uh, because I was actually walking around in here praying, and then all of a sudden, the Lord downloaded not one, but two messages about Christmas. I was like, Lord, it's like, I have never seen this before. And I asked him, I said, Lord, why are you unlocking things uh, here in in Luke chapter 2 to me. Why, are, why is this fresh all of a sudden? This is what the Lord said. He said, my people have grown numb to the message of Christmas. I mean, I, I, let, me, let me put it plainly. Don't, when you're reading the Bible, don't skip the genealogies and don't skip the Christmas story because you know it. Like, okay, let me get past this, and let me get past this. All right, I'm going to get on over, and I'm, I'm just going to get into the meat of this, and I'm going to get into the teaching of what Jesus was saying. You're actually going to miss something fabulous, and I think God wants to awaken us to some truth. So I'm going to speak to you a, uh, two weeks of a loosely connected messages called the Declarations of Christmas. It's called the Declarations of Christmas, and today we're going to read this story from Luke chapter 2. And um, I love Christmas time, and I, um, I did something uh, very bold yesterday. I went into Walmart. <laughs> I noticed not a lot of smiling happening in Walmart. <laughs> I'm like, uh, now, I, I actually laughed out loud at one point in Walmart. Because one of the gentlemen from the automotive department put on a mildly tattered Santa outfit head to toe, and he approached my youngest son with a candy cane. And he says, he says, 
He says, son, do you want a candy cane? And this is literally what my son said. This is exactly what he said. He grabbed the candy cane, looked right at him and said, you smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. (laughs) It's exactly what he said. It was a direct quote from the movie Elf. I'm like, I I I started crying laughing. I'm like... (laughs) I'm like, high five. My older son, Aiden, was like, oh, we were laughing. We were smiling. I saw him later in Walmart. I was like, I'm so sorry, Santa. I'm so sorry. My kids are just jokers. Uh, we, we, um, <laughs> we, and I, I think we've ingrained this into them. We love to just live our, our lives um, just kind of redeeming the time that we have together. And so um, I, uh, our family naturally falls into three divisions right now. We have the littles, and those are our elementary students, and Asher and Reagan. And then we have the middles, who are in middle school. Uh, that is Aiden and Emily. And then we have our oldest daughter, who just turned 18, and she's a senior. And uh, every what we've done since they were really, really young as while they are littles, we redeem the ride to school. And what we do is we take a day, whatever day that falls on, and we pray on the ride. And one thing we pray for every single week is that God would, would take angels and place them around campuses. And that none of our campuses would ever be national news. We pray that way, protection every day. We pray, I, I actually, when I get to pray, I actually pray uh, uh, an obscure um, passage from Daniel. Uh, it says of the young wise men that they were 10 times better than the wise men of, of, uh, who didn't follow God. So I pray my kid's brain 10 times better. And so we pray, but then my kids always do this. We say the amen. And they say this, Dad, tell us some jokes. <laughs> tell us some jokes. So um, just in case you've been in Walmart too much and the frowning has worn off, I've got some Christmas jokes for you. You ready? All right. Now, at the end of these, you have to laugh. <laughs> All right. Straight from the list that I give my children. What do Santa's elves do after school? They're gnome work. I heard that groan. They don't get better. What do snowmen eat for breakfast? Very good. Frosted flakes. You'll like this. Parents, I'll, I'll leave you on this one. Uh, what is a parent's favorite Christmas carol? Silent Night. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, I, I, I actually think that Christmas is supposed to be the most joyous time of the year. But somehow... In, in, in all of the commercialization of every holiday, 
I think we've kind of become a little bit numb to Christmas. While there are still pumpkins and black cats, Christmas trees show up on aisles. And it's just another day to sell more stuff that might break or you might not see in a, a few months. And I feel as if we've grown a little numb to the message. But in the goodness of God, I think the Lord is actually going to awaken us to something from the scriptures this morning in Luke chapter 2. So let's look at it together. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. And it says this, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth goodwill toward men. This is an amazing scene. A few years ago, um, uh, I, I get the good privilege every single year to be able to preach to hundreds of students during the, the, the Christmas season at uh, local FCA huddles. And we have a rather large one at one of the local middle schools here. And, and uh, God gave me this message from here and called it Christmas in HD. And it's as if the Lord just, just allowed me to see what was actually going on that night. Here are shepherds, poor shepherds, living in the fields with their sheep, and, and then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up. Now, one angel would have been quite a scare. But what happens in a moment is a multitude, a host of angels shows up. But one angel shows up, and then when the one angel shows up, this is what it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. So this bright, shining light encircles the angel and the shepherds. And he begins to preach to them and declare the, the beauty of what was actually happening. And then I had this thought, I wonder what the sheep were doing. <laughs> I know what they were doing. I've seen sheep. Unless they were fainting goats and they just fell over, I think they, they ran for their lives terrified. Because the scripture says that the shepherds themselves were terrified paralyzed in fear. That's why the angel had to say, fear not. They're paralyzed. So we have sheep running everywhere, this glorious light in the middle of the night, this bold telling that Christ is born in the city of David, and then it gets even more magnificent. God opens the heavens, and this is what it says. It says, a host a multitude of the heavenly host. Here's what that means. The heavenly host is actually a reference to heaven's 
armies. Heaven's angelic army shows up in a multitude. A multitude of angels. I don't know how many a multitude is. It's a lot. It's not one. There's two shepherds. And now thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of angels have now peeled back eternity, stepped into time, and they make a declaration. And what we are about to read is not man's response to what God was doing. It was the angel's response to what God was doing. What you are about to hear in this Christmas story is not earth's perspective, it's heaven's. It's heaven's perspective on Christmas. And it's found in verse 14, and they said it, and the beauty of unity. They lifted their voice and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Heaven's perspective on Christmas is found in this one declaration. I love the fact that these are angels who have a special perspective on eternity who are now telling humanity about something that's happening in time. These angels come in proclamation. And this declaration that they make is an angelic declaration and it gives to us in there three calls. All of them a call to action. The first call in this declaration of Christmas is this. It is a call to worship. It says, glory to God in the highest. Now here's what you need to understand. Although we sing that song and we sung, we sung those verses today, the angel wasn't talking to man. These angels are saying in unity this statement, glory to God who is in the highest heavens and all of heaven at this initiation of this moment that we call Christmas, all of heaven is being called to worship. I've heard of people who have, who, who have gotten glances of heaven or visions. They said this, in heaven worship is contagious. That if one person bursts forth in worship, it just, it just sets off a chain reaction. And I believe as these angels are saying glory to God in the highest, it is glory to God in the highest heavens. They are calling heaven to worship. Here's what I'm convinced of that we've been hearing for the last eight weeks. That whatever is going on in heaven ought to be happening in the church. Remember he prayed that prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Oh, that we as the church, when we would hear those that sound, glory to God, that all of us in unison, together with all of our hearts, we would shout glory to God. When you walk the aisles and see the trees and the ornament, or maybe you see the manger scene, is there something that leaps inside of you and says glory to God? It should. Because this angelic perspective says, man, Christmas is causing heaven to worship. And Christmas ought to cause us to worship. This coming and initiation of God's plan of redemption caused the heavenly host, the army of God, to show up. And they said, glory to God in the highest. The beauty of the initiation of God's plan of redemption of mankind cause angels to call heaven to worship. You have to understand this. This was the moment they had been waiting for for 4,000 years. Adam and Eve fractured the perfection of their relationship with the Creator some 4,000 years before this moment. That divide had grown greater and greater. Those angels which stood there 4,000 years later had been standing there on watch and could not believe what they were seeing, that man would rebel and be separated and in that moment, in Genesis chapter 3, we find God making a bold declaration saying, I'm buying them back. I'm going to buy them back. And angels, angels had been looking on. How's he going to do it? Man is fouling up so bad. God had to flood the earth. How's he going to do it? He only had eight left over. How's he going to do it? Angels are watching. How's he going to do it? And then he initiated the plan where he sends his only son to the earth in the form of a baby. And all the army shows up and says, this is so good, we have to say something. <laughs> Glory to God in the highest. He sent his son to heal the canyon of separation between mankind and their creator. See, the Christmas story is a call to worship. And angels have been so curious. First Peter tells us this, and you've got to see this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, this is amazing. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, the ancient prophets, spoke of the grace that was, was, was to come to you, that grace that's in Christ. They searched intently. And with the greatest care, care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves way back in time, but they were serving a generation that was coming. But you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. And look what it says. Even angels long to look into these things. Even angels have been saying, what are you doing, God? 
I wonder if the angels, how many times they've heard the psalm, what is man that you are mindful of him? The angels are looking into this moment, and when they see Christ come to earth, they break into the earthly realm and say, glory to God in the highest. Christmas is called a worship. It's a call to worship of all of the earth that the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God is on display. And people were longing for it, longing for the intimacy that God made available 2,000 years ago when he sent his son to complete his assignment. We also find that in this, declaration of these angels there's a call to wholeness and it says this and on earth peace now the new testament was written in greek and aramaic but these two shepherds they were hebrew the shepherds the angels spoke in their language. Their language was Hebrew. And when, so when he said the word peace, he said, Shalom. Shalom. And on earth, Shalom. Now, if you were to take a trip to Israel and you were to greet anybody there today, you would find that as the common greeting in Israel. They would, you would shake a hand and you would say shalom and they would say shalom. And they would greet. It would be a common greeting, but this word is so deep. You see, shalom in Hebrew means this. It does mean peace, but it also means harmony it means wholeness. It means completeness. It means prosperity, well, welfare, and tranquility. What you need to understand about shalom, I guess if I were to give you a word picture of shalom, it would be the idea of a mosaic. Pieces that have been painted on that you only get a clear picture when they are brought together and every one of those pieces are now in place. Maybe commonly you might call that a puzzle. I call it a mosaic because a mosaic is art. And the scripture says that we are his poema, God's artistic expression in the earth. And so when we experience the shalom of God, God takes every broken piece that we've ever experienced, puts all those pieces into place and makes them whole in Christ. That is shalom. That is shalom. So when this angel says shalom on earth, all of the fracture, all of the brokenness, all of the sin, even all of the sickness, even all of the pain, the things that came in because of sin, now a payment has been made and a declaration released that wholeness has come. Shalom. So you see the birth of Christ 
is an invitation to complete restoration. It reminded me of a story from John chapter 5. Remember this man who was by the pool near the sheep gate? And he had been laying there some 38 years. And the story goes like this. That from time to time, an angel would come down and stir the waters. The sick gathered around this pool. And when the angel stirred the water, they would step into the water and be, be healed. Now, I don't care what your perspective is really on whether or not you think that was a hot spring, whether you think that that was some kind of natural phenomenon. The Word of God says an angel came and stirred the waters and, and people were healed. So I'm going to go with that. I'm not saying that you should go home, fill your bathtub, and pray an angel come and stir it. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is the Scripture says that there was this opportunity for people who were broken in their bodies to be healed supernaturally by God's grace through an angel who was stirring waters at this pool. And yet, there was this one who seemed close enough to get healing, but had been laying there in infirmity, the Scripture says, 38 years. 38 years of watching other people get what you want. Because evidently, it was only offered one at a time. And then Jesus comes into that moment. In John chapter 5, and this is what it says. It says, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said this, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? This word in the Greek uh, uh, is, is actually more literally translated the word Sound. The only time we ever use it is con contractual in nature. Being of sound mind. It means whole. So Jesus says to this man, do you want to be whole? How was Jesus able to say in all confidence, do you want to be made whole? Because angels at his birth said wholeness has come on earth. Shalom of God, the peace of God. You see, peace is not the absence of war. Peace is the presence of a person. You say, are you sure? I'm absolutely sure. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit, the person, is love, joy, peace. Jesus then heals this man who answered the question, do you want to be made whole? And I believe Christmas is asking you today, do you? want to be made whole. You're laying there and you see other people getting their breakthrough. You're in the right place. You're in the right atmosphere. It's like, oh man, I'm so happy for them. 
probably won't happen for me. You're living at one at a time. The presence of wholeness has come. He comes in the form of a baby and heaven's SWAT team showed up and said, on earth there is now shalom. And it's not offered to one. It's offered to all who will by faith receive all that Christ offers. God is not a gamble. You can place faith in him and he will come through because he is good. This call is a call to wholeness. And I believe today, if you'll answer that call, wholeness will come to you. Make no mistake, I feel in some of you the pain of yesterday and what the devil dealt to you that was meant to be a deadly blow. He intends to keep you laying there another 38 years but there is one who has been sent from heaven who looks at you today and says, if you will give me that pain, if you will give me that hurt, if you'll give me that sickness, you can be made whole. That's the God that we serve. And that's why angels would cry out at his coming. The last and third call that I hear in this declaration of Christmas. It's a call to the heart. It's a call to the heart. In the NIV, it puts it this way. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. On whom his favor rests. Goodwill toward men. Listen, I heard T.D. Jakes say it, so I believe it. <laughs> favor ain't fair. There's nothing fair about favor. So all of you who think that you have to earn God's favor by somehow behaving in a certain way or being better or being good, believe me, I am all about holiness. I want you to run after God with all of your guts. But the favor of God does not rest upon you because of you. It rests upon you because of him. That's the favor of God. And you, you can have people outside the church look at you and they're on your job and they see you working and you're blessed and you're promoted. You're like, why does everything just work out for you that way? <laughs> and you could say quietly, favor ain't fair. <laughs> favor is not fair. Maybe you need to see it this way, the word blessed. In the New Testament, it's makurios. The first connected definition with the word blessed is this. It's favor. But this is, this is actually the actionable understanding of it. To be envied. So when the angels said, upon whom God's favor rests, they were like, we envy you. 
we envy you because you can be redeemed because you are so loved by him. You know, there was this little rebellion in heaven. Sin showed up. Most people think they got this grand idea about some big war. No. God doesn't have an enemy because to suggest that God has an enemy would be to suggest that he has an equal. Lucifer is a created angel by God. He's your enemy, not God's. And when sin entered in and rebellion entered into the heart of angels, a third of them were out of heaven in an instant. And they were, for all eternity, according to the scriptures, unredeemable. They cannot be bought back. There is nothing in them that is redeemable. And the angels show up on the first Christmas and they say, you mankind, favor rests on you because you fell big time. You look more like God than we do. And you fell. 4,000 years of planning and of mercy and of grace unfolded in an instant and angels came and said, we envy you. The favor of God is on you. You see, this call of Christmas is actually a call to the heart. It's actually a call to know the heart of God. It's a call to know the heart of God. Most of us will never receive the wholeness that he offers because we never get close enough to find out his heart. Most of us think that God is mostly mad. He's just kind of angry, sitting up there. I mean, after all, Revelation said that there's lightnings and thunderings coming out of his throne. Must be mad. I don't know, I've read the scripture that actually says that God sings over you. Maybe you should rid yourself of the religious picture that you've had of God. Listen, he calls you to be holy. He wants you to live for him. Set apart, looking like you are a son. You are called to live according to his precepts laid forth in his words, but God's not angry. He loves you. You say, what about his wrath? It's coming. Just not on us. Because favor ain't fair. <laughs> I don't want you to ever see the Father in a way that would keep you from receiving the gifts that He has for you. Because if you see Him as mad at you, you'll never receive what He wants to give you out of His goodness. If you don't see him as being not only having mercy, but being full of mercy, you'll never understand mercy. I believe with all of my heart, if you knew the measure of God's favor that rests on your life, not only would you respond differently to him, but you would live differently before others. You would live as the highest and most cherished son or daughter 
of a king. Let me finish by saying this. The call of God to his heart in Romans 5 is beautiful. It says this. While we were sinners, Christ, he died for us. When we were without strength and powerless to do anything, like the man at the pool. Powerless. He loved us. God loves you today. I don't care what the chain or the bondage or the hurt of yesterday. I care that you've been through it or that you are in it. I just know God's not called you to stay there. And if you would ever hear the heartbeat of the Father, you would allow yourself to be free. Because your dad, your heavenly father, sent a son that causes us to worship. That causes us to be whole. And that totally reveals his heart. It's the declaration of Christmas. Allow God to do something new in your heart today. And then I think you'll say these words with a little greater power. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like more information about the ongoing ministry of Calvary Church, please visit our website at InvernessCalvary.com.